Good evening and greetings once again to everybody from sunny Roswell, New Mexico. And for all the Karen Dolans out there, it did rain here all day once this week, I must admit. And as we're moving into the fall, we've had a couple of partly cloudy days as well this week. But overall, it's still sunny Roswell, New Mexico. Thanks for asking, though. You're listening to Live from Roswell, and I'm your host, Guy Malone, bringing you the one and only talk radio program and beaming out to you live from the official birthplace of the vast right-wing conspiracy, TM. We're broadcasting live on 105.3 FM in New Orleans, where I hope you've got some sunshine coming your way this week, finally, and globally over the Internet on Paranormal Radio Network, Pal Talk, Live 365, and all those unknown places pirating our broadcast. We know you do it, and we don't mind. Thanks also to Upsnap users for listening to us on your cell phone absolutely free right now. You can check out this program's website, livefromroswell.com. For full details on that amazing offer, listen on your cell phone for free anytime you're not on your computer. We are in for a really good program tonight, I believe, and I invite you to participate by calling in or emailing me with a question or comment. As regular listeners hear me say on every program, Live from Roswell is sponsored in part by Alien Resistance HQ, offering biblical perspectives on UFOs and abductions. You've heard me say this dozens and dozens of times, maybe. Well, tonight we have as our guest Joe Jordan, who, along with myself and Pastor Chris Ward, is a founding member of the AlienResistance.org website, which I started in 1999 to link our three sites together nearly a decade ago. And Joe Jordan's main contribution to the site at that point was that in his work as a mutual UFO network investigator, he came across something he definitely didn't expect, (laughs) a report from an alien abductee who claimed that he was able to stop the experience in the name of Jesus Christ, called out during the experience, and it was terminated. Now, that incident, about mm, 15 years ago now, I believe, it led Joe into an area of investigation that changed his life and led him into a ministry of helping many other people escape from a very tormenting experience. But, of course, his findings and his public reporting of this phenomena, uh, they do suggest that the experience known as alien abduction may, in fact, be spiritual in nature rather than extraterrestrial. A controversial topic, no doubt. And tonight we're going to hear all about it straight from the horse's mouth. And as we broadcast live tonight on September 13, 2008, you're welcome to chime in with your thoughts or even challenges to Joe once we get going. You can email me at talktome at livefromroswell.com, and I'll be happy to read uh, to our other listeners whatever's on your mind, or beginning in about 20 minutes after Joe's told us the basic beginnings of tonight's premise and topic. You can just call us toll-free, 877-786-0562, Our number and that email are posted for you on livefromroswell.com. And you'll also see a link to Joe Jordan's main website, ce4research.com. And hey, before we really get into uh, the meat of this interview with Joe tonight, I have two very brief uh, UFO-related public service announcements that I think you'll appreciate knowing about. These are not commercials, just some news stories that I've linked uh, right now from the top of livefromroswell.com. The UK's web user magazine reports that a... UFO spam hides in a Trojan horse. And the article reads, in part, security experts have warned that emails claiming to contain a video from CNN reporting contact with extraterrestrials should be ignored. The video attached to the email actually contains a Trojan horse rather than the promised report on aliens sending cartoon messages. 
there's a number of other hoax emails with rogue video files attached appearing to be sent by other news outlets such as the BBC and they also use topics other than UFOs to try and pique our interest. That's end quote. I have that link above uh, Joe Jordan's bio on livefromroswell.com right now if you'd like to read that article. But I know that most of us know better than to open unsolicited or unsolicited email attachments. But it looks like the spammers know that if they include the word UFO, you might just be tempted to throw caution to the wind. And I wanted to give my friends and enemies alike a heads up on that one out there. Also, linked right now from livefromroswell.com. I think many of us remember that Peter Jennings UFO special broadcast by ABC about two, three years ago now. And, hey, they're at it again. Uh, this coming Tuesday night, September 16th, the ABC News program, Prime Time, is running a program entitled UFOs, Seeing is Believing. That's running from 9.30 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time. And according to the article I linked, um, UFOs, Seeing is Believing, takes a serious look at the phenomena in today's world. Serious cough, cough, maybe, I don't know. But it's going to start out with the Ken Arnold UFO sightings in 1947. Uh, it goes into Roswell a bit, and it will take uh, viewers all the way up to the present-day Stevensville, Texas sighting. So that's 90 minutes of primetime coverage of, on UFO reports from a major network. That should be interesting. You can check out the full story at www.livefromroswell.com and after you watch it, feel free to let me know what you thought of the program after watching you can uh, send me an email again, talk to me at livefromroswell.com with your thoughts or even your review on the program and perhaps I'll read it on the air next week okay, I think I got through all my blither blather um, to start off with our guest tonight is Joe Jordan president and co-founder of CE4 Research Group and MUFON, State Section Director for Brevard County, Florida. CE4 is an alien abduction research group based in Joe's hometown of Cocoa, Florida, also known as the Space Coast, where the shuttle launches. CE4 first distinguished themselves from all other UFO and abduction research groups by being the first to publish within the UFO community documented cases of abductions being stopped in progress and halted as a life pattern for the abductee. Joe, welcome to our program tonight. Thank you, guys, for having me on. Oh, it's been a pleasure. It's been well over a year, I think, since we did this. It's good oh, to yeah. have you on, bro. Yeah, thank you. So you've got a story that a lot of people um, are, you know, shocked by or challenged by at the minimum. Let's get right into you just telling the story, how you got started. Was I right 15 years ago now? Yeah, it's been close to that, I guess, Uh actually started in 1992, my actual journey into the UFO realm. Um, I was on a vacation trip headed to Alaska to see my brother, and I was flying out of Orlando, which is the main airport here in central Florida, and I had about a 10-hour flight headed up to Alaska, and I figured I'd better grab something to read because that's a long time to be on an airplane. And while I was in the airport, I went over to the newsstand bookstore area, you know, where they have all the little knickknacks and magazines and books and stuff like that. And I went through all the magazines and didn't see anything that caught my eye and went over to the book section and started browsing through there and picked up one book in particular. And I picked up the book, and it looked like a science fiction book, and I used to be an avid science fiction reader when I was younger. And uh, it, it's a great escape mechanism, you know, fantasy and, and sci-fi. And uh, I turned the book over and just to check what the synopsis was on the book. And as I was reading it, the book, even though it looked like a science fiction book, it was reading like it was science fact. 
uh, it was an investigation on an event that happened, and they said that the findings from the investigation were actually true, and uh, the research was extensive. And the book itself was UFO Crash at Roswell. Wow. And I bought I... that book, and I read it while I was on the trip. <clears throat> the story actually pretty much consumed me. Um, like I said, I was I was used to reading science fiction, but this thing was absolutely fantastic, especially with the, even the slightest idea that this was something that really happened. And I finished the book while I was on the trip. I got back to Florida, and my interest in UFOs was peaked, and I wanted to know more about this subject. Let me ask you to speak up a little. I'm hearing okay. that the audio is low. Okay. And while I was uh, looking into finding more information on the UFO subject, I came across a fellow over in Orlando area on the International Drive um, area to be accurate where all the tourists are, and he had a UFO museum. And I thought, well, this is a place I could start to find out more information on the field of UFOs and abductions and crop circles and all of that. So I went over to visit this guy and made two or three trips over, actually, in the beginning, and uh, spent some time talking with him, looking at his UFO museum that he had for the tourists. And it was quite a nice setup. It was a walkthrough of the history of the UFO phenomenon. And plus he had a little bookstore out in the front lobby there where you could buy books dealing with, with UFOs, abductions, and, and all the sort. Now, I know uh, this guy you're talking about, right? They go yeah. to the UFO conferences. You know, yeah. Can we say their name? Yes, you can. Yeah, it's, uh, Jim and Mary, right? Jim and Mary. Yeah, God bless them. I haven't seen them in a few years now. I hope they're yeah, still on the circuit. I kind of wonder where, what happened to them. They uh, had some good stuff. Had a lot of stuff that you could pick from for books and and trinkets dealing with UFOs and the sort. But he was he very did, yeah ardent believer, as I yeah. remember. Too. <laughs> but he was very knowledgeable on the subject. He had spent quite quite a few years in the subject, and uh, it was a good source for me to get started with. And while I was working with him in the beginning, he did share with me that he had been the state section director for MUFON for Orange County, Florida, which is the Orlando area. <clears throat> and uh, he shared with me a lot about MUFON, and he watched me get more and more interest into the subject. And then at one point he asked me, he says, would you like to become more involved? And I said, well, what do you mean? And he says, well, we have an investigative organization called MUFON. And he said, you actually can become a field investigator yourself and actually get involved with sighting investigations and that caught my interest and i said yeah i'd like to and he mm -hmm. took me through the channels uh to work my way up as a field investigator trainee and then he helped me with the test and got my status as field investigator <clears throat> and uh we actually worked on a couple sighting investigations together and then he brought to my attention about being a state section director and what the what was involved with the duties of the state section director. And actually a state section director is in charge of their county or a number of counties and they have field investigators under them and they're in charge for setting up the meeting monthly meetings for their members and building up the investigator status for the other investigators and getting them trained up to where you actually had a crew that could respond for invest for investigations on UFO sighting reports, and I thought, you know, I'd like to do that, and that's when he introduced me to the state director, who was Charles Flanagan at the time, and Bland Pugh, who was the assistant state director, and between the two of them, they educated me on my duties as a state section director, and I worked my way up to state section director for Brevard County, Florida. So you would basically, if someone reported a UFO sighting, 
you'd go out to their house or they'd contact you somehow and you'd record just the facts, basically, and then enter that into a field of data for MUFON and compare it to other reports, just tracking it for scientific analysis, for lack of a better word, huh? Yeah, pretty much, just building the database for MUFON, which they've had going since 1969. And there's thousands and thousands of cases that they've got documented. And what they're looking for is repeatability of the of events, um, because repeatability can show something a lot more powerful than just individual sighting investigations, sighting stories, should I say. And um, this is where we took off, and I started holding my monthly meetings. I had initially five investigators working close hand with me in the beginning, and um, we would meet regularly. We would follow up on invest, you know, sighting investigations that would come up. We'd do the paperwork that was involved. Now it's all done electronically, but back then we had to do it all longhand. And then we'd mail it in to the state director, and it would become part of the database. And that's kind of what you do as a move-on field investigator. So what um, I sort of know, because I know your story, we've known each other for 10 years, what started happening that all of a sudden you realized that, that there was a turn of events or a, a little change of direction for you? You started investigating abduction reports. Well, that started after the first couple of years. Uh, we stayed with these sighting investigations, but at some point we started looking at each other and you go, you know, this is getting old already. And uh, we were kind of anxious, I guess, as field investigators, and we wanted to get to the truth about what the UFO phenomenon was about. And as I was holding my monthly meetings, um, we started getting people there that were abduction experiencers or contactees, and we didn't know what to make of that at first, but we started listening to their stories. And it, it really didn't fit in with the MUFON idea of, of documenting uh, investiga you know, sighting investigations, but it was something that needed to be looked at. MUFON wasn't really set up at that time to, uh, to document abduction reports, and they're just now starting to get into that here 15 years later. I remember uh, that when they finally... Broke their mold when Steven Spielberg's movie Taken came out and oh, yeah. UFO magazine. They did their first abduction, um, abduction-centric magazine. It's a tough topic to get people, even in this fringe UFO research thing, to take seriously the abduction reports, isn't it? Sure, it's that next step into, should I say, the weirdness involved with UFOs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, where do you draw the line with weird? You know. Um, most people think that because you're doing sighting investigations on UFOs, you're weird. You take it to the next level with abductions or contactees or crop circles or mutilations. You know, it just gets more bizarre. But as field investigators investigating sightings, which is something that's been going on since the beginning of the UFO phenomenon, um, we had that feeling like some people do get that we were just chasing our tails. You know, how many sighting investigations are you going to do before you finally get to the truth? Well, they're still happening today. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I don't know what that it. number is, you know. Um, and listening to the abduction accounts from these people that were coming to our group meetings and the, the contactee reports, um, we started looking at that real serious because here if we were going to get to the truth of the phenomenon we felt that we had to get closer to the source and these people claim to be close to the source they claim to be in contact with the beings that were behind the sighting investigations that we were doing 
allegedly we lying that, to you. Allegedly, uh, yes. So we felt that maybe that's where our focus needed to go to, and we started listening to their stories uh, more intently, and we decided to actually switch a lot of our work over to documenting abduction reports and the, the cases that were coming into us. And that's when we set up CE4 Research Group. And the reason we set up CE4 Research Group, CE4, Close Encounter, Fourth Kind, was to separate ourselves from our MUFON work because, like I said, MUFON wasn't set up to deal with abductions at that time. And we didn't really want to confuse the issue, so we set up a, a separate entity called CE4. And that's when we started to really focus on the abduction experiencers. First thing we did as investigators, and most of us were all MUFON members, and we were familiar with the training that was involved in doing investigations, but we wanted to educate ourselves on the abduction phenomenon. So we began consuming all of the literature that was available, the videos that were out there, and any recorded lectures that had been done by some of the top researchers in the country. Just to get ourselves up to the point that, being that we were working with people, that we wouldn't cause a problem working with these people. Uh, we wanted to be educated as much as possible before taking this on. Same thing we did with the UFO investigations. We did a lot of training before we got involved with, with sighting investigations. Same type of deal, just uh, a little bit different venue. And it wasn't long before something strange happened. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you use that word loosely in this topic. I use but. it loosely, yes. Okay. Um, while we were holding these monthly meetings, not only were we dealing with abduction counts and, and contactee reports, but there were a different group of people coming to these meetings. When you open them up to the public, you don't know what you're going to get coming to your meetings. And I was warned right from the beginning by the state director and state section director for my for MUFON for Florida uh, when you have these meetings, try to stay focused because you'll get different people coming in there with different stories. And beware of the new age mindset that seems to follow with this phenomenon. And I thought, what's new age? Never heard of that. I mean, before. yeah, did you have a problem with that or was it MUFON? MUFON did. And, okay. Uh, they wanted to try and keep it as scientific as possible. Hmm, okay. And I was all for that. You know, when I got into this, I had no preconceived notions on the on the subject. I came into it with no history of, of dealing with the UFO phenomenon at all and walking into it expecting to do this from a scientific point of view and uh, that's where I tried to stay. But as these people started coming to these meetings with all their different stories and all their different belief systems and I started hearing all of this, I started thinking, man, how can I keep these meetings you know, in, in check here? And uh, but after a while, I started to see that no matter how strange these stories were that these people were talking about, they were still part of the phenomenon. It, no it couldn't be discounted. And as an honest researcher, I had to look at everything that I was seeing put in front of me, whether it was New Age, metaphysical, or anything else. So I started listening to their stories also, and wasn't long before I realized that there was a key part of this phenomenon that was being overlooked. And when you're dealing with the New Age and metaphysical people, they have sort of a spiritual aspect to looking at things. And that's something that I had no background in at all, is any spiritual aspect of anything. 
Uh, I didn't have a belief in God. I came. I was total agnostic when I got into all of this UFO research, and I was exposed to the spirit side through these people, and I had to question what was happening there. And the only way I could even be, begin to understand what they were doing was to become more involved with what they were doing. So I'm doing sighting investigations. I'm trying to record abduction cases that were coming in, people's stories that they were wanting to share with us, and also becoming more and more involved in metaphysical aspect of the whole thing. And it wasn't long before I was actually really caught up in the whole metaphysical side of the UFO phenomenon. I mean, I became probably the closest thing you'd call a practitioner of metaphysics in New Age myself. Walking uh, around with your bag of rocks and crystals, long oh, hair, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And, and on that quest for enlightenment, should I say, uh, just like the rest of them were. And I tell you, the one thing that uh, was interesting about that after looking back on it now, that quest for enlightenment was about the same as doing sighting investigations. <laughs> it's a lot like chasing your tail. Um, you never quite get there. And I don't think that you can ever get there because always somebody else comes along with something new and it just keeps you right on chasing and uh, that was something that, like I said, I look back on it now, and, and it, it's just fascinating that I even got caught up in that. Well, let me ask before you switch gears into the, um, I guess what tonight's topic will really be is, at that point, other than the belief systems you were being exposed to, what types of stories were you hearing from abductees? Well, there was <clears throat> what I was hearing from these people mostly was that they were quite traumatized. Um, the one thing that they hit on the most was that they didn't like the idea that this was happening against their will. They had no control over it. There was quite a bit of fear involved. Um, there were one or two that used to come to the meetings that seemed to have gone to another level with it all. And it's like they were working for these entities, whoever they were. It's like they had taken their side, and no matter what had happened to them, and their stories were just like everybody else's, you know, traumatic at first, but these people seemed to be promoting the alien agenda, uh, which is what they called it, and it, it's like they were representatives for them, and that was kind of strange. I didn't know what to make of that at first. But in general, most of the people had been quite traumatized by the experience, and they felt that being that we were UFO investigators and MUFON investigators, that we seemed to have all the answers. Well, we didn't have any answers, you know. Um, they felt that they had nobody else to go to. Uh, they were being ridiculed by family, by friends. Um, some of them had even gone to their churches and tried to share with them, and they were pretty much turned away, you know, for being either lunatics or let me get you to a psychiatrist or, you know, you got issues and all sorts of things they were told. So they were, like, left on their own and dealing with something that they didn't know what to do with. And uh, they were asking for help, and I kept seeing that over and over and over. But we didn't have any help for them. Um, all we were doing was pretty much documenting their stories, just like we were documenting sighting reports, trying to build a database to verify that this experience was real, it was happening to people just like, we do with sighting investigations, verify that UFOs are real and people are seeing these things. And that's pretty much the work we were doing for quite some time. But in 1996, um, things got real busy for me that year. 
and uh, going into that was election year and going into late summer I had been contacted by a fellow out at JPL in uh, California in Pasadena and he was interested being that I was MUFON state section director for for the space center area at the time uh, he wanted me to get involved with him and help him do a a simultaneous rally, should I say, between JPL and the Kennedy Space Center on trying to get answers um, on the monuments of Mars, um, the face right on. on Mars, the Sidonia area, because we hadn't had pictures since Viking. And then here we were getting ready to put that first globe, Mars Global Surveyor up, I think is which one that one was called, in 1996. And they were wanting the government to get on the docket for taking pictures of the Cydonia region to re rephotograph it to give them answers on what they've been looking at for years and questioning. If I remember, and you were working actively with Richard Hoagland then, right? Yes, I uh, got the whole was, space shuttle named yes, Enterprise and all. And yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, and that was that got complicated, but it was interesting. It wasn't something I was familiar with. The whole face on Mars and monuments of Mars. I wasn't familiar with that at that time, and I told the fellow from JPL, I said, you know, I know Richard Hoagland's got these videos out there, and you're in contact with him. I said, I'd like permission to show these videos to the people here so they know what this rally is about, you know, and I'm all for helping you out and, and using my credentials here as MUFON to help make this happen. And he said, I'll do you one better. I'll get Richard to, to talk to you himself. And when I asked Richard about doing this, uh, Richard asked to actually come down and do the talk himself. So oh. I had to work with planning all of that with him and getting Richard down here to actually do a public talk and put on this rally outside of the Kennedy Space Center to get the government to listen to us. But you know what was fascinating about that whole thing? What? While we were at that rally, the day of the launch, we actually got word back. Richard was there at the rally with us right out in front of the Kennedy Space Center. And we got word from one of the government guys that came out from NASA and said that they've been given the okay to put Sidonia on the docket. And the interesting thing about that little story is you can make change. One person can make a change if you stick with it. If you've got a dream, stick with it. We were able, through what we did there, actually get their attention and get them to change the schedule of those flights around Mars to be able to Sidonia on the phot photography docket. And that was fascinating that we were able to do that, and we were able to be part of that. But while all that was going on, I was dealing well, with a couple abduction cases at that well, time. Hang on. Yes. Good work and correct. congratulations. We're at Thank the you. bottom of the hour already. I just have to work in a quick station ID, not even a commercial break. You're listening to Live from Roswell, and I'm your host, Guy Malone, broadcasting globally from Sunny Roswell, New Mexico, on the Paranormal Radio Network, and on 105.3 FM in New Orleans, and on hundreds of cell phones in the United States, thanks to UpSnap. Uh, you can uh, listen on your cell phone to the Paranormal Radio Network simply by calling 704-631-4060 and entering our four-digit station ID code, 2899. UpSnap is entirely free now, so go to livefromroswell.com for full details if you missed the number. And I also want to thank uh, John Greenwald on the Black Vault Radio Network for hosting some of our programs now. Both myself and Karen Dolans through the keyhole are available at blackvaultradio.com listening to those archives. 
Uh, thanks also to John for having me on his program, Black Vault Radio, this week. In fact, if you go there, you can find an hour interview I did with John uh, discussing some of what Joe and I are talking about tonight, my more personal experiences on stopping abductions in Jesus' name. And with those plugs out of the way, Joe, uh, you said you were about to get to something really interesting. And we're back with Joe Jordan um, discussing terminating the alien abduction experience and how he got to this uh, place through the authority of Jesus Christ. You can join in the conversation, toll-free, 1-877-786-0562, or call me or email me at talktomeatlivefromroswell.com. Go on, Joe. Yeah, back back at that time where we were doing the rally, at the same time I was working with a couple cases uh, dealing with abductions. And these two particular cases were, were very time-consuming, and, and we were doing a lot of work with these two particular people. But there was something very, very dark dealing with these two cases. And my girlfriend at the time, who was working with me in the investigations, because it's good to have a woman working with you, because a lot of the cases we deal with are women, and uh, sometimes they get pretty personal. But she pulled me aside one night, and she says, you know, I see you're dealing with something that is a little more unusual than what you've been dealing with in some of these cases. There seems to be something very dark involved. And I think because you're dealing in this field and because we're sure we're not sure what it is, you know, you really need to have some kind of protection over yourself and, and going into this. And I said, well, I got lots of protection right here. I got all these little crystals that help me do this and that. And, you know, they they keep me protected. And she says, no, not that. I, she says, I'm talking about real protection. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she says, well, you know, I'd like you to take a look at this. And she sticks a Bible out in front of me, and I said, oh, no way. I've been there, Yeah, That's got nothing to do with what I'm working with here. And she says, well, I believe it does, and if you give me time to show you, you know, I'd like to take the time and show you how you can, you can have protection over this type of experience, and, and so it, it doesn't come on to you. And I said, no, that's, you can put that away, you know. And she said, well, wait a minute. She said, you're not even willing to look at it. And I said, no. And uh, she said, well, you know, you've always told people, and I've heard you many times, say that you're the most open-minded, objective investigator that there is. And I said, well, okay, you got me. Uh, but she called me on it. And uh, she sat down and t- took me through some scriptures in the Bible. And uh, it was a fascinating piece that she showed me. And something happened. It actually opened my eyes to something that I might have heard when I was younger growing up because most Americans grow up in a Christian family or you know they've had access to a Christian church you know but maybe they didn't stick with it and I didn't stick with it growing up you know when I was younger I remember going but it didn't quite hit me you know what preachers were telling me but for some reason this moment where she shared this information with me it hit me personal and I said, you know what, I'd like to have that protection. And she showed me how I could get that protection. And by doing that, I became what is called a Christian. And I went through this, the steps of what it takes to be a Christian, and this was November of 1996. Well, I started out as an agnostic. I went into the metaphysics and New Age. And here I am now a Christian. Well, just like all the other ones that I was before, I wanted to know 
what was I now? If I'm a Christian, if that's what this is called, what's a Christian? You know, I want to learn all about this. So, what type I of protection to... are you referring to? What's that? The protection you said she showed you. Was it was it, a a, it had to do with spiritual warfare, and it had to do with being able to have name and authority over these entities. If if it's an evil entity, you can have protection over these evil entities, and that's something that she felt that we were dealing with in these two cases, and possibly even with a lot of the cases that I was working with. And it was it was something that was very simple, and she was able to show that to me, and I understood it fully. It's just like these blinders were taken off of me, and I, my eyes were opened, and I said, that's what I want. That's that the Ephesians 6 rocks. quote that's on your website? Yes. Okay. And it gets into the of, whole okay. spiritual warfare aspect of all of this. Um, well, being that I wanted to know what I was as a Christian, I ended up, within the next couple months, going through an intense Bible study course. And it was a video Bible study course that one of my investigators offered me, who happened to be a Christian, that was working with me in this UFO investigation. He's never shared much of his Christianity with me, but he listened to what I was telling him. And uh, But being that I did become a Christian, he decided to share with me a lot more of that. And he helped me through this course and it was about two weeks long we went through it uh, video course video a night and uh, it was while we were watching that course sitting on the couch at this guy's house um, there was one particular video that we watched where the guy talking started getting into this whole thing called spiritual warfare and I thought wow that sounds great what is that about and he started into it and it was in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament that he started with and the first verse that he read was Ephesians 6.12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realm. And bam, right while he was saying that verse, I had a vision. And you know, the only time I'd ever really heard about visions was when I was in dealing with New Age and metaphysics. There were people that had all sorts of visions. I never had one when I was in the New Age and metaphysics. But I heard of people having them, and they were, I heard great descriptions of things they had been shown. But here, as a Christian, I was shown a vision. And in that instant that I heard that scripture, I had, sitting on this couch, I had a vision of the alien gray right in front of my face. I could reach right out and touch it. But in an instant, it morphed into the most horrific thing I had ever seen. And in that moment, I knew that I knew that I knew that what we were dealing with was not what we thought we were dealing with. And I said, stop that video, and I shared that with the guys that were there with me, and I said, I'm done with this, dealing in this field. This is not an area I need to be working in. And I said, I'm, I'm putting this aside. And they agreed also. But as the next month or so went by, I just had this nagging that said, you're not done. You're not done with this. <laughs> and I said, oh, yes, I am. And as a new Christian, I guess... God was speaking to me, but nobody told me, you don't talk back to God. But I did, not knowing any better. And I said, no, I'm done with this. He says, no, you're not. I said, well, yes, I am. And he, I said, you know what? I said, if, what do you want me to do with this? And he says, I want you to take what you've learned back to where you came from. And I said, that's not possible. I said, I cannot take the Word of God back to these people that I've, where I came from. 
especially with the new age in the metaphysical realm. They don't believe the Word of God, the Holy Bible, to be the inerrant Word of God. And I said they believe it to be great stories, you know, and, and maybe a good way to live by, but they don't believe it to be the inerrant Word of God. I said, I can't share that. I said, you got to give me something better. And I thought, well, that'll hold him off for a while. <clears throat> and wasn't long. And a couple of weeks went by, and he says, you already have it. And I thought, what? I already have what? And he says, you already have what it's going to take to get these people to listen. And I went back and talked to my lead investigator, the one that was a Christian, and I said, you know, we need to go back and look at these cases that we worked with. And we pulled the videos out, and we looked at one in particular. And it was a two-hour video we done on this gentleman uh, named Bill D. Mm. And we had sat in his living room at his home, recorded him with camera, audio, video, and went through a whole interview with him on his experiences. And it was during that that interview with him that he shared with us that during an actual alien abduction encounter that he had, in panic, in fear, called out in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. He said, Jesus, 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 or Jesus, help me. And the experience abruptly stopped. And he woke up immediately in his bed. And I thought, oh, my this is powerful. If this is real, then this is something we can take back and share with these people. He said so I, they were looking for help, and that was the one thing you couldn't give Exactly. On. We never could okay. give these people help. And here this fellow says he had stopped an experience. In all the research we had done in the UFO realm, in alien abduction realm, never had we read that an abduction experience could be stopped at that time. It wasn't until years later that we started hearing different ways that it could be stopped, especially with the book that Ann Druffel wrote. But here we had this guy, Bill D., that said he had stopped his experience that one particular time. Bill D. also shared with us that he had had experiences afterwards. And I started looking at this and trying to find somebody else that had something to say about this, that this wasn't the only case there was. Because one case is not going to do it. So I called up some of the top abduction researchers in this country. And I said, guys, I've got a very unusual case here. I'd like to share it with you and get your opinion on it. And as I shared with these guys this particular case and the experience and how it happened to this fellow and what he said, they all asked, could we go off the record? And I said, look, I don't mind. You know, I said, just help me here. And off the record means I can't tell you who said what, but I can tell you what they said. Every one of them agreed that they had come across cases like this. Well, my question was, if they had come across cases like this, why is it never talked about? Why was it never written about? Why was it never shared with the public that this had ever happened before? Like you'd read all these researchers' books. Sure. Thoroughly. Okay. And, and looked at their literature and looked at their, their, their videos they had done at conferences that they had available at the time. Nothing. Nothing out there saying that this was possible. And my next question to them was, why haven't you shared this? And I got one of two answers, or both answers, each time from these investigators. It was usually right from the beginning. We didn't know what to make of it. And I had no problem with that answer. If you didn't know what to make of it, that's fine. But it was the second answer that they gave, that most of them gave, that made me kind of angry. 
and that was we didn't want to go there because it would affect our credibility in the realm. In other words, they didn't want to get into the spiritual side. If there was a spiritual side, affect their credibility in the realm, excuse me, they're already dealing with craziness as it is to most of the public, you know. Yeah, just but how many different levels of weird are you willing to or not willing to climb? <laughs> exactly. But I understood where they were coming from, and I had no problem with that. These were very, very great people to talk to, very gentle people to talk to. Uh, they were very helpful in sharing their work with me. And the one thing I did share with them before I got off the phone with them, I said, you know, I thank you that you verified that this wasn't an unusual case by itself. I said, you're telling me that there's more out there. I said, I'm not looking for anything here except to document the cases. And I said, if these cases exist, I'm going to make myself available so I can get these cases and get them into a database. And you know what they said? Please do, because we can't. And in the past 15, well, 10 years since then, none of these researchers that I talked to from that time have ever come against me in the work that I've done. Others that I didn't talk to, They've gotten angry. They've gotten hostile. They've, they feel threatened by this research. And over the next 10 years, I've worked with now over 300 cases. I quit counting. It wasn't important um, because my whole purpose is to help people now. But I've worked with cases that have been able to stop this experience. In the beginning, it was all about documenting cases once I made myself available for people to talk to. And knowing that they would feel comfortable sharing that story with me where they didn't with other researchers, and that I would make it known that it did happen to them, I started putting it on the Internet, and that's how I came across you as another testimony. And people started seeing these testimonies, and the next level started to happen. That's when these people started emailing me and saying, I read these testimonies on your website where people stop this experience in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. And they, but now they were asking, can you help me do that? Well, that's a whole nother <laughs> ball game. Now I've gone from documenting as a researcher to being able to help people because I've got the tools now listening to the first cases that I've worked with on how they did this and what was involved to make it stop. And it's not just stopping it one time. The whole next level was to be able to stop this permanently from ever happening again and getting their lives back to normal. And that's what we've been able to do with people today. Is we were able to work with them and take them to the point where they can put this whole thing behind them. Great. And you said you've started with over 300 cases. I think where this topic all of a sudden starts getting messy is when your research has been out there for years. Uh, you've spoken at conferences here in Roswell, organized one of your own last year, is that a lot of questions come up from people who don't have a biblical worldview or at least have never even been exposed to this topic, is that I know you heard it from the very beginning of publishing your works, is, well, I tried that and it didn't work, or uh, why doesn't that work for everybody? And that's a good question. But I tell you, it comes down to making a various, very serious decision. Do you really want it to stop? And with people that have come to me and have had enough 
and have now recognized that there is a way to stop this and actually want it to stop, they will go through what is required to be able to put this behind them. And there is a method that we kind of work by. Um, it, it's one that we've pretty much been using from the beginning. Never really wrote it down. It's just a, a way that we've been taking people through the counseling. And a few years ago, I was introduced to a book that had been published um, that actually pretty much had it in writing on what we were doing, um, where people could actually look at it. And it came from a book called A More Excellent Way by Dr. Henry W. Wright. And in the book, in one of the chapters, he has this thing he calls the eight R's to freedom. And a real simple method of being able to put this behind you. And this just doesn't have to deal with alien abductions. As a matter of fact, that wasn't what his book was about at all. (laughs) The whole book was about dealing with illnesses that your body has and spiritual illnesses that your body has and being able to be set free from these things. And the eight R's are real simple. The first one is recognize. You must recognize what it is that you're dealing with. And when people are able to look at the possibility that this may be something else than extraterrestrial, when they're able to have their eyes open to see that they've been deceived in this this experience, that's recognizing. And if they do get to that point where they recognize that something is seriously wrong here, it goes to the next step. If you recognize that something's wrong, you must take the responsibility for what you recognize. Do something about it, okay? And then the third one is repent to God for participating for participating with what you recognize, for your participating in it, which we've all done. And renounce it is number four. You must make what you recognize your enemy and renounce it. Number five is remove it. Get rid of it once and for all. You need to be done with it. You can't play with this field anymore. You can't play with trying to find out and, and staying in the quest. And, and You have to separate yourself from it completely. And then number six was a key one is called resist. When it tries to come back, resist it. Yes, they do try to come back. They do try to make you think that you haven't been able to do this. The harassment may continue for some time. Right there, it says it will. And then what do you do? You resist it. And how do you resist it? The same way you recognize that you can resist it. And then number seven was rejoice. Give God thanks for setting you free. And number eight, a key one, which wraps it up is help someone else to get free. And how do you do that? By sharing that you have been set free. And those are those testimonies. And those te- and it, it becomes a full cycle. People came there sawing the testimonies that worked for somebody, and we helped take them through these eight R's. And then at the end, they share their testimony, which can help somebody else. But this all comes down on a way to make this work is, Because this is about allegiance. Allegiance to entities who have come against your free will. Or you, free of choice, making an allegiance to the true God of the universe. That's a choice. Okay, You weren't given a choice in your experience. They came against your free will. I was going to ask you about that. Go ahead, continue. We have a God that gives you free will to make free choice. And you have to make that free choice in the beginning. 
to where you have that allegiance of that God on your side. And that's where the authority comes in of the name Jesus Christ over these entities. Because if you read what Christians call God's word, then you understand where that authority that Jesus had comes from. It was given by God to Jesus over everything above the earth, on the earth, and below the earth. Correct. That authority is above all. And I remember a, uh, a, a little saying that was on top of <laughs> on top of a coffee house in Roswell for many years. Right on. Right under the word Alien Resistance HQ, it said, Every knee shall bow. And if the air conditioning hadn't gone out, we might still be there. <laughs> but, Let me ask you, you opened up a can of worms. We've got like five minutes left before the top of the hour. Sure. We've got a little can of worms especially for someone who's not heard this before or is hostile or is not a Christian, doesn't have a biblical worldview. One of the things you said early on in the renounce in Nadar's process was repent to God and renounce is, and you even said recognize. So you, first you said you have to recognize this for what it is. That it's, yes. Are you saying that this method, that, that the name and authority of Jesus Christ will or may not work for someone who thinks it's aliens? Yes. You have to actually identify it as um, demonic fallen angels? Yes. That, that, Why is that? Well, because the Word of God tells you that Jesus Christ, who is called the shepherd, knows his flock. And this is all about making that allegiance again. He knows who his sheep are. Okay? And this is not a magic word that you use. It doesn't work that way. Right. When you call out in that name and authority of Jesus Christ, it's because you've made that commitment to him. You freely have done that. And that's the difference. This is not about, oh, I go to church every Sunday, I go on Wednesday nights, I go on Fridays, I help the youth group, I do all of that. This is not what this is about. This is not about a works-based religion, which all other religions in the world are, are works-based religions. You can never do enough work. This is the whole thing about New Age enlightenment. How much enlightenment does it take? Well, that's that tail chasing again. This is about a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. You have to ask for it. And that's the difference between everything else that these entities have done. They take it against your will where you have to ask for that relationship. And you can actually have a personal relationship. This is not uh, a, a God consciousness. This is not a, a Christ consciousness. This is a, a personal being. And it's hard for me to share that with somebody who doesn't understand it, who doesn't have that relationship. How do they get to that relationship? How do they know for sure? Ask for it. And when it, you get to that point where you want to be done with what these entities have been doing to you, it's there. Just ask. And then I don't have to share. I don't have to explain it anymore because he'll show you. But it's back to the research. The research itself is how many cases does it take to show you that these people can be free of this experience to the name and authority of Jesus Christ. That's the key with the research. I keep getting cases in. I'm working with some right now. And do all of them get set free? No, because some of them choose not to give themselves up completely. 
to this Jesus Christ. They still want to stay in the game. They, they want to be set free from the torment, but yes. they don't really, okay, want to change their life and you know keep. They got to keep a lot of aspects or belief, false beliefs or pet sins or. I think what you were describing on allegiance was what happened to you is you became born again. Yes, that's the term that Christian Christians use. And, and all it's, of a sudden, it's quite an experience. <laughs> it's a hard one to explain. But you know what's fascinating is I had an almost identical experience in my indoctrination into the New Age phenomenon, in the New Age belief system, because I actually am an experiencer myself. And the experience I had was so powerful, and the only thing I could relate it to was what I had heard about Christians having that experience of being born again. And But the thing was, I wasn't being born again to the, the, the truth of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I was being born again to the, to the New Age phenomenon. But it was a, a counterfeit experience to the Christian New Age, to the Christian born again experience, so much so that I even called my mom, who was a devout Christian all her life, and said, <laughs> you know, I've had that experience, you know. And, of course, she probably thought I was nuts at the time and really did a lot of praying for me. <laughs> Um, but once I did have the born-again experience where Jesus Christ became my Lord and Savior and became active in my life, and actually as a Christian, you cl you also inherit that authority over these entities. It's not just the name and authority of Jesus Christ over these entities, but that authority has been passed down to man once they make Jesus Christ their Lord and Master, because through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit which they receive, that authority is passed on through them. So when you rebuke these entities, they must flee. And they recognize, because all of these entities in Scripture, when you see the demonic entities written about in Scripture, they knew who Jesus was. They True. knew he was the Son of God. They knew, they knew he followers. had authority over them. Absolutely. And, you know, we got to do a commercial break, Okay, Joe. Um We'll be back for another full, non-commercially interrupted hour in just a few. But I, I want to say, like when you said, um, repent and renounce to God as well early on, uh, you sound, what I'm going to bring you back to talk about is, hey, I'm a victim here. I'm a kid who's four years old. What have I done wrong? Why is this happening to me? What did I do? You, you said early on, and I think people could easily take offense, is that you have to repent and renounce for, what did I do to deserve this? We'll pick up that topic after our break. Join us back here in just a few minutes on Live from Roswell. Take the time to email me at talktomealivefromroswell.com with a question or comment for Joe. While we play some music and station uh, identification commercials, take us out, Mr. Montaldo. <laughs> Welcome back to Live from Roswell. I'm your host, Guy Malone, broadcasting to you globally from sunny Roswell, New Mexico, on the Paranormal Radio Network and on UPRN 105.3 FM in New Orleans. During the break was the song Creed by Rich Mullins. 
And if you liked it or any of the bumper music you hear on tonight's broadcast, visit livefromroswell.com and you'll see links to the song titles over on the right, just under the picture of your smiling host, back when I was skinny anyways. There's Chris Putnam's Live from Roswell Alien Resistance video, Clannon's Uncharted Territory, which you just heard a piece of, and Rich Mullins' Creed are all linked for your listening pleasure. And the Creed link takes you to my MySpace page, by the way, the page I made for the Inch of Days conferences, that is, featuring the ability to watch some of the video lectures we've recorded all for free. So check that out. Watch a video, too, and uh, send me a friend request in the process. A reminder, like I said, our program is sponsored in part by Alien Resistance HQ, featuring biblical perspectives on UFOs and abductions, as well as DVDs from past UFO conferences held here in New Mexico, and they are all available on a name-your-own-price donations basis at alienresistance.org, ancientofdays.net, including Joe Jordan, a video version of what Joe is telling us tonight when he lectured, and roswellufoconference.com. So we're back resuming our conversation with Joe Jordan, CE4Research.com, and you can call us at 877-786-0562 or talk to me at livefromroswell.com. Joe, what we, some of what we covered in the first hour with Joe is that he's been able to counsel many people on how to stop the abduction experience in Jesus' name, suggesting that it's a spiritual phenomenon, not as extraterrestrial as uh, people liken it to. Joe, first off, you said that for this to be successful, you had to recognize what was going on. What type of creatures are you saying that aliens really are, or what are we dealing with? Well, looking at it from a biblical perspective, which, because it's gone into a spiritual aspect of the UFO phenomenon, and because I found that this name Jesus Christ, which comes from the the Holy Bible, the Christian Bible, has something to do with this, then it's the next step was to look at what the Bible said about this particular experience and maybe what type of entities we're dealing with. And if you look through the the Bible and its stories it has of dealing with angels, God's angels, whenever you read about the description of the angels, the abilities that they had, and the purpose that they have, you see a, a similarity between the entities that are behind the abduction experience. Um, it, it, it almost mirrors them identical. The only part that doesn't mirror it is in their purpose. Um, as messengers, the angelic angels that come from God always have uh, uh, a message that glorifies God of the Bible, um, the Judeo-Christian God. There's mm-hmm. always a message that they're bringing. And they always give the who, what, where, when, and how that you see in journalism. Any of the stories where the angels came, you'll see all of that in Scripture. The one thing you don't see with these alien entities is that message. The message is always anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible. And we see this over and over and over. It's like they're trying to change a mindset. Um, and this is something Michael Heiser hit on. It, it That seems to be the purpose is to change the way we think or the way we believe uh, in in today's world. It brings people into a a religious or spiritual viewpoint that denies Christ or the Bible as the Word of God and other takes them into other New Age, as you've said, religions, right? Absolutely. And it seems to be that that's their purpose. But their abilities that they have to be able to change shape, to be able to become 
transparent. All of the all of the lists that Carla Turner describes in the experience, these are all the same type of abilities that angels have. It's just that these angels, or if that's what we believe they are, come with a different message. And we know through Scripture that the, the story from the beginning to the end is about a spiritual warfare between a dark side and a good side. God and his heavenly hosts against Lucifer and his fallen angels, which are, were originally part of the heavenly host. And this is, I believe, what we're seeing here is a continuation of that battle. Pretty much I would say that what we're dealing with is the emperor's new clothes because this is not something that's brand new. This is something that's been going on through all of humanity. You know, well, we also see in the Bible time. angels have the ability to create fantastic scenarios, dreams, yeah. visions, um, you know, realities, actually, that are very real. Yes. Now, that was the whole bringing, book of Revelation, right? <laughs> yes, and bringing that question up is, is one that, is this experience even a physical experience into the effect is, is are these people actually taken somewhere and in the research that I've done I'm not seeing that the experience itself I do not deny that these people are having the experience I myself have had a an experience myself I would not deny myself that I had the experience but the what is the experience the experience is more along the lines of a hallucination an apparition an illusion but it's all part of a deception and what we were first talking about there being that the whole purpose is to change our mindset. Um, the CE4 number itself that was set by Jack Vallee, there's actually a little phrase that goes with that, and it's called reality transformation because that's what's happening to these people. And that's exactly what the agenda is of these entities is to change our reality. And the reality being if you have that biblical perspective, or even if you didn't, to make sure that you don't. And that's the outcome that we're seeing with the experiencers. Uh, the question you brought up before we went on the break was dealing with kids and dealing with that one repent. Well, that little kid, you know, how did he open that door to this happening to him? And this is something we found early on in, the, in, the, in our research is the one question that keeps getting brought up is why does this happen to some people? Why does the abduction experience happen? And they still don't have an answer today, except that we found three answers to that question. And the first one is there are some people who openly ask for that experience. I myself asked for that experience. As a researcher that wanted to know the truth, I was asking for that experience. Be very careful what you ask for. Okay, We've all been warned about that, but mm -hmm. I'm serious. Be very careful what you ask for because you might get more than what you actually ask for. <laughs> the second one is we found people that we could not locate where they had openly asked for the experience, but when we started looking into their lives, we saw that they had been working in areas that allow this experience to happen by these entities. Like and what? Like occultic dabblings. Um, anything that's away from the true path of the God of the Bible. Okay, Anything that's outside. There's a lot of things that God warned us about in his word not to dabble with. And a lot of people are dabbling in those areas. And that opens up a door to, to encounters with these beings who are, again, anti-God, anti-Bible, 
anti-Jesus Christ. So you're saying occult dabbling or sinful activities, sinful activities. of a supernatural nature kind of open the door and give permission for this to happen? Yes, it does. And that's an unknowingly opening the door. But the third one puzzled us for a long time. But we were, we were able to found where that comes up, though, where we were able to have an answer for it. And it's that little kid, okay? And it's not the kid asking us the question. It's the adult that looks back and said, I have had this experience since I was four years old that I can remember. Where did I open that door? I didn't right. know about any of this stuff. Well, that puzzled us because we couldn't go back and ask them what they were dealing with because they were just being normal little kids. But what we did blame the victim. (laughs) Sure. But what we did start looking at was their family and how they were being raised and what were their parents dealing with. And we saw a lot of areas right there that were ungodly things happening that were enabling that door to be opened to that child. Why was it open to that child? Because biblically, the spiritual head of the household becomes the father. Okay? It's just something that's been set down. And also, in a, like a single-family relationship where it's just a mom, um, that mom would become the, the head of the household. But when there's full family, mother, father, everybody there, the head of the household keeps the covering over that family. If that covering is not over that family, those kids are being left wide open to whatever these entities want to do. And when you open that door for that family and those kids are vulnerable, things will happen. So you have to be very careful that you raise your kids properly, you raise them in an environment that they are protected. Otherwise, they're open for game. And that's something that we were able to see. Hilly Nipshut's in an I Am Exodus 20. Uh, visits the iniquities of the fathers under the children to the third and fourth generation. Yes. So you're you're saying something... These are the sins of the father. These are generational curses. And mm-hmm. we're seeing this played out. It talks about it biblically, and we're seeing this played out, because this is something that we are seeing in the abduction phenomenon, is it does run in generations. Can it be broken? Absolutely. And then if they can bring up the rest of that scripture, how far does it go once it is broken? It talks about a thousand generations or something like that. I can't quote it exactly. But when that curse is broken and that righteous family comes together, then that is cured for a thousand generations after that. So this is something that can be stopped. Even though it's generational, it can be stopped. And we've had that happen in a number of the cases that we worked with. Now, moving on to Roswell. Oh, hang on. I've got uh, one. We've got a hand up. Uh, a listener okay. wants to chime in, and uh, and someone in the virtual auditorium is asking uh, to leave out the profanity here. Um, what's the difference between like uh, a killer rapist and that someone doesn't get saved from if they call God and if they're dealing with an alien? Is it just because it's a spiritual demonic entity that? you can rebuke versus the evil of mankind or what? I would say yes on one hand, but then I would also say I don't have an answer fully for that on the other hand. Because I have seen cases, miraculous cases, where people have been able to stop situations like that happening mm-hmm. by and calling just, out the name and authority of Jesus Christ. I have to agree with you. Let's uh, put on, uh, we've got a hand up in the virtual auditorium, TRMT137. 
come on in anytime you can or if Joe puts her on. Or Joe Montalvo, that is. The one thing we are seeing, though, no matter what experience happens to someone in their life, that they can... Oh, hey, Joe. I can hear you. Yes. Well, okay, Joe, I think one is, yeah, <laughs> the question of other races and the physicality, like planes and pilots, do you believe fallen angels can do that sort of thing? Absolutely. And uh, the one thing that you know right from the beginning, and you yourself will stand by me on this, we do not deny the UFO phenomenon. We know that right. there are physical things happening with this experience. But in the abduction experience itself, as far as physical things that are happening, we do know that these entities have the ability to manifest into the physical. These are spiritual beings in a different plane than us. We are physical beings, and we cannot enter that 
spiritual plane physically. We can enter it. We, we know there's other ways that we can approach it, and that's through out-of-body experience, astral travel, you know, things like that. But we don't physically go there. But these Biblical visions. Have, yes. These yeah. beings have the ability to come from their realm to our realm. We see that in biblical scripture. We see where God's angels manifested in the physical. Not only their physical being themselves, but the clothes that they wore. Okay, It's not a far-fetched if you can manifest clothing right down to the what's involved molecularly to, to, to make a clothing that you could actually produce a craft or whatever is involved, what people are seeing. That's not a far-fetched to be able to put those two together. Mm-hmm. They have this ability. This is not technology. This is their ability. And that's one thing that people are confusing, is they want to call it technology, and it appears as technological. But like I said, that's just, again, the emperor's new clothes. Because in years of, years of old, we dealt with elves and fairies doing exactly the same thing. And the, uh, other researchers have been able to see that similarity. But they use the appearance of high technology to produce that today. Can they produce these crafts? Absolutely. Are they actual physical crafts? I believe that they can make them absolutely physical. Are there bases with hundreds of millions of crafts flying around? I think not. We don't even track them going in and out of our airspace. You know, they're temporary. And that's something that needs to be looked at. So there's physical manifestation, and then there's visions that feel physical, two different things. Not actually feel physical, but smell physical, and you know the whole works. These, these, this, this experience of the abduction experience is absolutely as real as you and I talking on the phone right now to these people. I do not take that away from them, but the one thing that it does to them is it upsets their life. It puts them in a situation that they are no longer in control. And that's the one thing that we've been able to do is help these people. We have found a way, we have come across a way where this experience can be overcome. This may not be for everybody, but if you're hurting, if you're tired of this experience, if you're tired of being taken against your will, if you're tired of giving up your free will to these entities who didn't ask for it in the first place, there is a hope. Okay, I interrupted you earlier. You you said something about Roswell. Yeah, we were going into Roswell. Quite a splash. Um, yeah, we did. <laughs> um, like you said before, I've talked in Roswell a number of times. I talked three times at your Ancient of Days conferences. Um, I've done numerous radio shows. I've been my stuff has True. been published in ten authors' books. This is not new. This wasn't new this year in Roswell. I had the opportunity from the city of Roswell to be able to host the 2008 Roswell UFO Festival conference. And it was the CE4 conference, and we had a beautiful place we held it at. I picked some of the top researchers I felt uh, that are out there today in ufology to bring together. This was to be the most important, challenging conference you'd ever attend, and I think for the people that were there, it absolutely was. Um, I didn't do a new talk. We did uh, pretty much the same talk. It was called Unholy Communion, the Unwanted Piece of the UFO Puzzle. Pretty much the same talk that you heard in 2007 at the Roswell UFO conference. Yeah, I got it. I found it interesting that the people, I did, yes, Alien Resistance and the city of Roswell in 2007. Right. That a lot of the people that are complaining or, you know, ruffled feathers will say, this talk has gone on before. It just, was it 
Do you think it was ignored or, or what in the past? I think it was ignored. Okay. And I think when I finally got in a position where I had the world's attention at one of the most noted conferences in the world, I think that they finally had to wake up and look at what was being said. And the one thing I did at this conference in my talk was, like I said in my talk, I don't, you know, people have come and they offer fuzzy pictures and fuzzy videos and they talk about fuzzy ground marks from these type of UFO events that happen. You know, I stood up there on that stage and I said, I'll do you one better. I'll bring you living testimony. And I had that stage. You yourself were there and your beautiful mm -hmm. wife, Nicole. And we had ten people on that stage who were experiencers who could testify that the name and authority of Jesus Christ works over these entities. Mostly people that you've worked with and counseled successfully. Yes, absolutely. And you invited people to, to question them, talk which, to them, feel for yourself. Which, Absolutely. That was the reason that we brought them to Roswell. Bring the evidence there. No questions. And I say, don't trust, don't trust me. Don't trust what I'm telling you. Trust the evidence. And I brought the evidence from all over the country, even one from Mex Mexico City, to that stage where you could put your hands on it, you could smell them, you could ask them questions, and you know what? Nobody did any of that. The researchers themselves that complain the most about that talk that I gave never once questioned these people. The evidence was there, brought forth in front of them, and they didn't question the evidence. And now they're questioning the evidence after the fact, which, excuse me, but you blew it if you didn't ask them while they were there. That's why they were put on that stage. That's why they Yeah, I got to admit, nope, nobody in the audience came up to me afterwards after that talk or for the rest of the weekend and asked me about any of my experiences or was this true have you stopped this exactly and they were right there i yeah, couldn't do sure any better than that you know you can read about cheap. stuff yeah you can read about stuff all day long you can listen to people tell you this is true this is that is true but i brought the living evidence to them to test themselves and they never did but That's a good tag. Oh, go ahead. I can do you one better than that. Even though they failed to ask questions to the live testimonies there in Roswell, I do have one you can talk <laughs> to that was in Roswell on that stage. And remember at the beginning of my talk, I told you about the first case I ever came across, Bill D. Bill D., yeah. Bill D. Well, I happen to be sitting here with Bill D., and he's available to talk, and you can ask him some questions, and anybody in your audience can ask questions. And I challenge you, because they blew it in Roswell, and here they have an opportunity to actually ask one of these people the questions themselves. This is an experiencer who has been able to stop his experience not only once, took him 10 years to finally get it together, but he has terminated this experience from his life. He is absolutely sure of it. He is set free from the bondage of that experience, and he's willing to take questions and talk to you. Well, that's what I said. Excellent segue. Uh, Bill, I believe you're on the phone. Welcome to the program. Yes, I am. Hey, it was a pleasure to meet you finally this year in Roswell, first yeah. off. Yes, it was. It was for me also. I really enjoyed the, the trip out, and... Uh, I thought it was an awesome, awesome conference. 
Okay, so um, do you mind recapping a little bit? Maybe Joe's already told it, but what happened to you 10 years ago, first of all? Okay, well, it was actually a lot longer than 10 years ago. I think 10 years ago was actually when I I started looking into what had happened to me. Uh, my experience actually happened in uh, the fall of 1977. I had just started working at the Kennedy Space Center. Hadn't been there Speak up just a tad if you can, sir. Okay, let me... Uh, probably better if I get on the other phone. Hold on just one second. Okay. Um, what had happened, um, I basically came home one night and uh, um, just normal everyday evening chores and things like this. And I lived uh, in, in a pretty rural area at that time. And uh, my usual, it was a Friday night, usually my... my uh, routine was uh, just do my chores, do my things that I needed to do there around the house, and then I noticed that there was, uh, uh, that later on that evening I'd sit and watch television and uh, watch the news, late news, and I noticed this light outside uh, across, the, across the road over the woods, and it kept drawing my attention back to it, and I finally got up and went and looked at the light, and uh, came to the conclusion that I thought at that time that it was just a, uh, the, there was a lot of drug activity and things like that going on, so I thought the, the, um, the police were over there investigating some type of field or something, you know, where they were growing some marijuana or something like that. Well, eventually I went on to bed, and uh, when I went to bed, my dogs were, I had two, two big dogs, and I had a dog pen close to the bedroom. Uh, and I get up, they start, they got really agitated, and I went and uh, go to the window, and I tell the dogs to quiet down, and they would, and I go lay down. And this went on several times, and uh, it was, I guess, I don't know how many times it was I got up and, and did that, but the, I remember the last time I laid in the bed, and then I, I couldn't move, and it was all of a sudden everything just kind of turned gray. I felt like there was some type of presence around me. And then I was, felt like I was levitated up in the air and I uh, felt something, uh, I felt like something evil. It, it, it wasn't normal. It, you know, it was something evil. And it uh, pushed something up my rectum, it felt like. It felt like I was being held up on a pole or something on, uh, in the air. And I didn't know what to do. I was so afraid. I was so scared. I was scared to death. Yeah. Didn't know what to do. And I was trying to scream and everything. Nothing was coming out. I tried to wake up my wife who was laying in the bed beside me there. And nothing was coming out. You know, I just kept trying to do that. And then uh, I didn't know what else to do. And I just, I just called on the name of Jesus. I said, Jesus, Jesus, help me. Or Jesus, 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 and and at that instant, this thing that was holding me up, the, like on the pole, it sounded like I hurt whatever was doing that, and it, the pole was gone, and I hit the bed, and my wife says, well, you know, what are you doing jumping on the bed? <laughs> and I didn't know what to tell her at the time. I told her I thought I had the worst nightmare that I'd ever had in my life. But um, that basically, that's basically... Uh, what had happened to me, and then 
for about three or four months after that, I couldn't go by a window. I would not go outside at night if my wife wanted to go somewhere or something like that. There's no way we'd, that I would go out at night. And I was very, very um, upset, you know, naturally. And um, to, to bring the story up to date to... Uh, yeah, that, ten you ended it once right then. Pardon? It sounds, you ended it once right then. Right. But you still had trouble for years. What, well, uh, basically what happened was I, I don't... I was just... I was newly getting involved in, the, in a uh, Baptist church at that time. And uh, I really... At the time that I had the experience, I, I, you know, I said, as I said before, I thought it was something evil that was doing this to me. And I really, as I look back on it now, I see that this was uh, Satan's way of trying to keep me from, you know, from learning the truth, you know, from from getting close to God, and and uh, and he succeeded for a long time. <laughs> I mean, even afterwards, even though I do believe that. I was saved at that time. I believe that was the night that, that, you know, that was more or less my profession of faith. And uh, and it ended the experience. But for years and after that, I didn't, I kind of put it in the back of my mind, but I also kept thinking or wanting it to be, you know, aliens or something like that. And I, I didn't come and, you know, come to the, uh, realization even when Joe and Wes came up came forward with the um, um, the and tell you know and told me what they had found on the tape that they had done that was in uh, 1996 I believe that they did the uh, the interview and um, that that they they were trying to tell me what they had found and at that time I still didn't want to listen uh, I, I still wanted to believe that there was aliens out there and that they were here to help us and, and things like that. Even though I had such a horrible experience, I had read all kinds of books and things like this about how you know people had that same experience, and they were you know they were they believed that they were aliens, and I and I wanted to believe that also. That's where I say I believe. Like you. Satan. Go ahead. You skipped Joe's first step of recognize, perhaps. Oh yes, definitely. Okay. Hmm. I mean, That's... he tried to he tried to show me, and I did not I did not recognize it. In fact, I I probably rejected it, you know, because I didn't even I think I I got away from Joe and him for a, a, a lot of years. I didn't even you know have much contact or any contact at all with him for years. And then, you were still uh, having contact or abduction experiences. Is that right? No, I. Uh, well, there was a few things that happened um, after that. I think I was still open to 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 some things, you know, some things that are, that are unexplainable, in, you know. But I think I look at them now, and I think it was still it was that part that that was trying to keep me away from from Christ. It was trying to keep me away from 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 God and my, you know. And recognizing uh, what I really, really, um, you know, where I really, really was at the time. Um, God, I, I believe that God, 
he, he doesn't force us to do anything. It's all our choice. And, and that's, what, that's what's so wonderful about the relationship that people have is, is you, it's your choice and it's your commitment. And, and up until from the time that incident happened in 77 up until actually 2006, I don't think that I really, really had any idea or, of making that commitment. I mean, it was—it seemed like that Satan was trying to keep everything away from me. You know, to keep every—he was putting everything in front of me to keep me away from that. And then I had a—my um, oh, son had a problem. Uh, he had bone—he uh, was diagnosed with bone cancer, and uh, I really, really got depressed and this little voice kept telling me I needed to go to church and I hadn't been church in years and uh, I went to church and then shortly after that uh, we my wife wanted to go to the grocery store so we went to the store and uh, went there and I met this this man just out of the clear blue sky this man come up and started talking to me and um, and he had told me he had cancer and it was cured. Well, this got me angry. <laughs> I, I mean, I wasn't angry at the time I was talking to him, but when I went home later, I was sitting there angry. Well, his wife had came up there and talked also, and she told us, or she had told me to go home and pick up my Bible. Well, I hadn't picked up, like I say, I hadn't. I had gone to church that day, and it had been years since I had been to church before, so my Bible had dust on it. And, uh, <laughs> well, are you saying, if I can sum up, are you sure. saying that once you really committed your life all over again, that you were set free again? Yes, I think. I think basically what happened was uh, when when I was um, sitting on the couch and and I just I was so angry. I was angry. Got my wife. My wife came in and had, had thrown my Bible to me across the room and said, "Read those Psalms." Well, I read and there was nothing there. For me, it just—I just didn't see anything at all. And the next thing, I threw the Bible over to the other side of the couch, and I just cried out to God. I said, "God, I believe in you, and I believe in your Son Jesus Christ." I said, "I'm at the lowest point in my life here now. I, you know, I've had some rough things that I've been through, but this is knowing that my son has this bone cancer and everything was just too much for me." And I said. I asked him for three things. I said, uh, you're going to have to give me some encouragement. Well, basically, at firstly, I said, you're going to have to hit me in the head with it because I just don't get it. <laughs> and so I, I, as I was sitting there and I said that, I, I also said, give me some encouragement because, at, because I was at the lowest point in my life. I said, what do you want from me? And then I asked uh, how do I talk to my son because I couldn't talk to him about this problem we were having and the next thing I knew my hand flew over and opened up the Bible and this was not me because I mean I was scared to death because I didn't I never had anything like that happen before like something grabbed me and put my hand over through, through the Bible open and underneath my fingers it said I will not leave you or forsake you well make it, long story short the next day I was sitting at work. I took my Bible to work, and I was sitting there, and the little voice that had told me to go to church and do these other things told me, he said, 
you, you have a study Bible, look and see if there's something else there for you. And when I went in there the, uh, and started looking, there was two references in there. The first one was Joshua 1. My son's name is Joshua. Huh. And Joshua 1 is basically keep my commandments. So first he told me, you know, I will not leave you or forsake you. So that's the answer to my first question. Second question was, what do you want from me? Well, he told me, keep his commandments. The third thing he said to me, or the third thing was, it was in First Chronicles, and it was King David talking to his son Solomon. And so that, he answered those questions right there for me. And I knew at that moment that, that I knew that I had, had experienced God. He, he had talked to me. So that's what that's what changed everything in my perspective. And I started, I went back and I looked at the things that was happening. And then, because Joe had told me that in my interview I had said I thought that I was having a satanic experience. Well, I started looking into it a little bit deeper. And I prayed about it and asked about it. And sure, sure enough, that's exactly what had happened to me. Okay. I knew it May I sum back. up? Or may I ask a question? Just we have another call. We have a caller on the line, actually. Um, it's okay. uh, Joyce, who uh, was with Joe and Roswell. I'm pretty sure. Um, were you saying that you were having experiences, but ever since you, to use the phrase, got your life right back with God, that they've stopped again? Oh, I have not had any. I haven't had any experiences for a long time. I think I've had God's protection. I've had, you know, a protection. I've had some incidents that that. I really can't explain, but as far as I, I believe I've really had protection, God's protection ever since that first that first experience when I called on God, because I believe, like I said, I believe I was saved at that time, but I did not grasp the full meaning of being saved. I didn't grasp that commitment. You, you know, a lot of people, whenever they get saved, they're they're on fire right away. And they, yeah. you know, and they, you know, they want to go out and tell everybody and everything. Well, I didn't do that. You know, I still had that worldview that was so. And working at the space center like I do, I still had. Oh, that that's how Joe ended the last hour as well <laughs> by turning around, helping someone else, or giving a testimony. Bill, I've got a second caller on. Thank you okay. for sharing. I want to uh, get Joyce on. If Joe okay. can uh, put her in the queue, or Joyce, welcome to the program. Can you hear me? Hi. Yes, Joe. Yeah. I can. Go ahead, no, she's not coming through on the radio. I can hear her on the telephone. So just keep talking for a minute, Joyce. How are you? We Joe, can no, I think he's the, the toll-free number's not working correctly. Is there anything we need to do? <clears throat> oh, okay. Uh, actually, yeah, hang on. Well, the virtual auditorium actually says that we can hear Joyce there. So, Joyce, if you don't mind, uh, just in four or five minutes, can you tell us? Oh, wait a minute. Um, yeah, I, I think that we're uh, 
we're recording fine for the archive, so um, can you tell us a little bit about what was going on with you when, before you met Joe and since then? Yes. 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 Yeah. Could you just share with us some of your story before you met Joe and what happened after he started working with you? Yeah, you're, that's what Joe said. Be careful what you wish for. You were watching Communion, and John Carpenter, abduction researcher, was in your area. I'm going to try and repeat back some of what you're saying. Okay, we're not recording. You're, you know, I was going to say, you're an abductee who appeared on the television show Sightings with a very well-documented story.
And But for those who came in later or want a chance to participate further in this conversation, this coming Friday night, you can listen to Through the Keyhole with Karen Dolan, 7 to 9 Eastern. And Yeah, okay, yes. We are definitely out of time. Remember to watch Tuesday night, September 16th, ABC News. We've got something you might want to see. Thank you once again, Joe. Good night. God bless Thank you. you, everybody. Stay tuned for UFO Undercover with Joe Montaldo following this program. Sorry we had to cut it off short there, folks, but we appreciate you listening to Live from Roswell. I'm Guy Malone. Till the cows come home. God bless you.